Well, good morning again to everybody. How many of you have watched the news and seen that there's been a stabbing murder in the city? Terrible, isn't it? It's getting worse. Should we get mad over it? Should we really be annoyed with it? Should we be offended by it? Innocent? Was he a Christian? Was he a Christian? Lots of things are sad in this world, unfortunately. I'm going to open this up with two two scriptures. Luke 17, verses 1 to 5. And then I'll do Matthew 24, verses 8 to 13. The reason I'm asking you whether you watched it or not is many things in this world can offend us. People's actions, people's words, road rage, you know, all those things can get offensive. Let's see what Luke's got to say. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. And this is Jesus talking. I've got the red letter edition here, so it's all in red letters. Then he said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offences will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother offends you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to him, saying, or turns again to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. It's pretty hard stuff, isn't it? Do you know what the apostles said to that? It's written here, verse 5. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Our human nature wants us to fight back when somebody offends us or rubs us the wrong way. Our human nature wants us to curse them. Wants to do lots of things that shouldn't be happening. Matthew 24 Verses 8 to 13. He's talking about the end times and I think um, most of us here will agree that it's getting close to that way. And it says, And these are the beginning of sorrows. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This is Jesus talking about God's people. God's people. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. 
And that's because people get offended, they want to go somewhere, so they go to somebody else who's going to speak the same language they do. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So I want to talk about this offence issue. And I think Satan uses it quite regularly. Inside the church. He uses it to break churches up. He uses it to drive people from the pews to another church and then another church and then maybe never back. <clears throat> I think it's a reason some churches don't grow physically and spiritually sometimes. We've been given a, God, a vision by God to apply to our future. Pastor Stewart has a vision. He preaches it or comes out once a year, tells us what our vision is for the year. In many cases, God calls upon us as a congregation to stand in unity so that we can outwork those visions. But if we think for a moment the enemy is just going to let us go unchallenged, we're wrong. So as a community or as a church, if we work in unity, we can achieve the goals that have been given by God for us to do per year. But Satan's going to try and stop us. He's constantly pouring something into the congregation that has a potential to destroy his vi God's vision and his church. And I reckon it's called personal offence. Anybody here been offended? Yes, oh, yeah. If I come up with a pair of dirty shorts on, a pair of thongs, scruffy hair, would it be offensive? No. Oh, it probably is. No. I know the politics of the church, and I know that there's many of us here today that felt offended in different ways, including myself. Don't you hate the word offence? Don't you hate being offended? Don't you hate it when you say something or do something and somebody else gets offended? Even when you may not have meant it to be offensive. You say something and it rubs somebody up the wrong way. But they get offended. So what does it do to you? Does it offend you too? I didn't mean it like that. So who's to blame? How do you repair the damage? And what is our defence against personal offence? What a terrible weapon offence is of Satan's. It can tear apart relationships that have been solid for years. It can destroy families, split or shatter churches... And I suspect deep down it has been cause, the cause of wars that have killed thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people. Somebody gets offended with somebody else and they go to war. 
Although offence has been around for as long as sin, I think most will agree that it's on the increase. We're seeing people suing others for trivial little offences that 20 years ago would have been settled over a cold beer or a bit of a punch-up out the back to return again best friends. We find ourselves having to be extremely careful with the words we use. Some minority group or person might accuse us of vilification, prejudice, racism. The labels rednecks and homophobes have become popular titles for anybody who speaks against somebody else's opinion of acceptable. So remember that. If we say something that contrary to somebody else's opinion of acceptable, and it is only somebody else's opinion, they can take offence. In Matthew 24, Jesus was telling his disciples about the end times. He said, And then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. So even those who claim to be children of God and citizens of his kingdom will fall foul of each other. And this in turn can result in one or another or both endangering their souls. This scripture is really a good indicator of the times we live in and what we need to watch for. The more we identify the signs of the end, the more we can see the desperate need for the unity Satan is trying to destroy. He's trying to split us up, people. If somebody in the church offends you or you feel offended, it's Satan playing, playing. I struggled with it for years. You know, somebody would say something and you'd get annoyed. But like the disciples in Luke, Lord, increase our faith. Along with increasing your faith, increase your peace. So who's to blame for being offended? Who's to blame for offence? It's a fallen world and the people in it, for the most part, care only about themselves. The what's in it for me mentality is a prevalent idea. And I mean, we all come out of this same worldly arena, didn't we? The what's in it for me. If somebody is annoying or unproductive to you, you personally, to you personally, a quick way to get rid of them is to offend them. I don't want to know you, so I'm going to say something sharp and you're going to go back off. If they come back, offend them again. It's a subtle way of rejecting them without saying so. All of us know people that are carrying around hatred for others as a direct result of being offended. And I can tell you a few out there that will never forgive somebody for what they've done. That is the saddest thing anyone could say. I will never forgive. The Bible says, if you don't forgive, how's God going to forgive you? And some of them are even professing Christians. Ultimately, whatever is not of God is from the opposition. But while as humans we're more than happy to apportion all the blame to Satan for these things, he caused the words to sound offensive, you might say, or he twisted so-and-so's mind to think that way. The truth is people offend people. People offend people. If I was offered 
if I was to offend one or more of you, it might sound funny if I tell you to get over yourself. You know I didn't really mean it. Or swallow a spoonful of cement and harden up a bit or something. You know, we can all make jokes about it. The reality is it's only mocking you and it's of no help at all. I might be justifying myself, but I'm not helping an offended person. If a person's genuinely offended, hardening up is only going to set them firmly against you. Pardon the pun. There are no winners in the game of offence. If it is not quickly resolved, both parties will suffer. Now remember that. Both parties. Romans 14.21 says it's neither it's good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother or sister stumbles or is offended or is made weak. It shows us it's not good for either party. The one who is offended is weakened or caused to stumble is often driven out of fellowship by what, in their view, is insensitive, irreverent or a sinful action on the behalf of the offender. On the other hand, the offender will often think that they've been vindicated by the fact that the other person has withdrawn. They might say, must have hit the nail on the head, and now they can't face the truth. As humans, we're good at blaming everything onto somebody else. Or onto someone else's weakness. Our own pride tells us that it's not our fault, so why should we apologise? It's a very worldly view and it is taken by many offenders and it is dangerous for Christians. Matthew 18 verse 7, part of it says, Woe unto him by whom the offence comes. So it doesn't say woe unto them who is offended. It says woe unto him by whom the offence comes. It's in the Bible. It says that the person who's caused the offence is just as responsible as the person who's taken offence. If you know this passage or review it at a later date, you'll see that he's calling these offences sin. You could say that scripture um, was out of context, but it's relevant to this subject. I don't know why I wrote that, but it's there. <laughs> Matthew 24.10. Offence can lead to betrayal and hatred. Division, strife, unforgiveness, resentment, among many other personal errors, all of which have their final root in sin. So the person or persons causing another to be offended is causing them to what? Sin. If I offend you and you take offence and it stays unresolved, it creates sin. It's a problem. In view of this, you would have to admit that the offender is going to be held to account by God if all efforts are not made to resolve the situation. So the answer to who causes offence is people. We cause offence when we don't consider the full impact of our words or actions. So what do we do then? We must set about repairing the damage. Proverbs 
Part A. A brother or sister offended is harder to win than a strong city. Rough stuff. Resolving the issues and repairing the damage is not going to be easy. In Bible times, before explosives or guns, there are very few ways to win a strong city. The only way was to lay siege to that city and starve the inhabitants out. This method usually killed many before the city surrendered. So remember, a brother or sister is harder to win than a strong city. Another way was to make peace with them and show them by practice that you are trustworthy. This method may have taken even longer than starving them, but generally resulted in very few deaths. The same with regards to the offended. The offender can lay siege to the person they've offended by saying, you're too thin-skinned, you need to toughen up. Or maybe you can quote a few choice parts of the Bible back to them, suggesting that it's their fault that they feel like they do. They need to conform to a more tolerant view. The problem with this approach is that you're turning the person completely against you. It's like laying siege to a city. And what does it say when you lay siege to a city? Many will starve and die. The church... Um, no. The problem is that this approach is you're turning the person completely against you and the church and maybe even God. You're killing their faith and their trust. Even if you did submit... Even if they did submit to your thinking, they would always re- resent being forced. It would be like you have taken them captive to do your will. The second method is the one Jesus would have been more approving of. If you have caused somebody offence, and this is where it gets hard, people. This is where it gets hard. If you've caused somebody offence, humble yourself. Go to them and apologise and make peace. When I was studying this, it was a scripture I looked at. And in that scripture it says, and I can't remember exactly, it was, when you pray, if you have anything against a brother or a sister, go and sort it out. I take that to mean that there's a blockage there. If you're offended and you've got offence in your heart, there's a blockage there. There's something that makes it hard for God to bless you while you're holding on to something that's... Ask them to forgive you. Tell them you forgive them. This may not win them back immediately, but if they're open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, healing will begin. God honours the humble and the truly penitent. The Bible says that. And it's in taking this approach, God can forgive you as a person. I know uh, my wife has done it a couple of times. I've done it. You have to go to a person and sort it out. And you know what? There's a great relief. A great relief. It's not about that person. It's about you. Okay? So it's your heart that's suffering. It's you personally that are tormented. And it's about you. The alternative is to do nothing and suffer the penalty described in Matthew 18.26. Or 18.6. Better a millstone be hung round your neck and you were drowned in the sea. 
I'll add at this point that all the responsibility and expectation is on, in God's eyes is not entirely upon the offender. The person who has been offended has a responsibility as well. And the responsibility of the person who's been offended is to forgive the offender and seek their own forgiveness from God and the person who offended them. This may, may include prayers like, God, I'm so sorry that I allowed these little things to turn me from tolerance to offence. I have forgotten how much Jesus suffered and still forgave. I repent and forgive this person. These are the feelings, the thoughts that must go through our mind. The offended person must also be prepared to ask for forgiveness from the offender for any words they might have spoken, evil thoughts they may be having, or any offence they themselves may have caused in retaliation to their own hurts. Because I've noticed one thing. If you upset somebody, they'll try and upset you. And it becomes tit for tat, for tit for tat, for tit, till somebody gives up or somebody just blows up. As I said earlier, there's no victors in the game of offence. The best either party can hope for is to be reinstated to a position equivalent to where they were before the offence occurred. A bit more humble and aware for the experience. I think we've probably all offended somebody else in our lifetimes, and in many cases we consider it not our fault. You're only telling the truth or you didn't mean it in a nasty way or even the classics, that's who I am. If they can't handle it, it's not my fault. Has anybody else here used the line? Mm. I see nodding heads. No liars here. (laughs) But in the eyes of the offended, it is your fault. Would anybody here like to stake their salvation upon whom God will hold responsible? I'm not going to. I'm not going to stake my salvation on whether I'm responsible for offending somebody or somebody's responsible for being offended. Reconciliation needs to be made, and it doesn't matter who initiates it. And I say it doesn't matter who initiates it. I say because often the person causing the offence may have no idea that their actions or word have created the problem. It's a sad fact that offended people often go to their friends and badmouth the offender rather than confront the issue. The knowledge of the offence only gets back to the offender by a third party, and that's not ideal. If somebody has offended you, go to them. Seek reconciliation. If you have offended somebody, go to them. Seek reconciliation. Be humble, not proud. God will uphold. God will hold all unrepentant parties responsible. What's the best defence against offence? What's the best thing we can do? Who thinks they know? I think you do, deep down, no. The answer is love. Love is our defence against offence. Agape love, as Ron likes to call it. Agape love. Love can forgive others when they seem lax or insensitive. Love doesn't see evil behind every misunderstanding. Love makes us think of others before we make statements about them personally. Love doesn't have pride. It doesn't compare gifts or understanding. Love is. 1 Corinthians 13. 
the love chapter, I'm guessing. Verses 1 to 8. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give all my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not their own. It's not easy provoked, and it thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Wherever there are prophecies, they shall fail. Wherever there are tongues, they shall cease. Wherever there is knowledge, it shall banish. But love won't. In verse 13 it says, Now abide faith, hope and love. These three, but the greatest is love. Love is the answer. Perfect love will not take offence. Jesus was the embodiment of perfect love. And we're called to transform into his likeness. Think of all the occasions that Jesus had to be offended. He was called a glutton and a wine-bibber. Imagine that. He was rejected for telling the truth. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was falsely accused, scourged, mocked, spat on, stripped naked and crucified. But his one response rings out through time for us all to remember. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love is our defence against being offended. If we have put on the armour of God and stand firm in love with the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, we are able to detect, deflect the fiery darts of offence. If we should falter, then the gospel of peace will carry us to the offended and in love begin the healing that's necessary. If anyone here today has an unresolved issue of offence... I encourage you to go to the person who did it. Go in love and say, please forgive me for being offended. Please forgive me for holding what I've got. Start the resolution process. If offence remains among us, as a congregation we can't hope to fulfil God's vision for the church. For a house divided cannot stand. As individuals, we open ourselves to Satan's manipulations if we are not prepared to seek forgiveness. God has led me to feel it's a very important issue in all churches, all churches right now. 
if you've declared that you are unified as a congregation, then the enemy will be throwing everything at you to try and destroy that unity. Even if you haven't openly declared unity, no, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all family. And the one thing Satan wants to do is tear apart God's family. The challenge is, can we all arise above <coughs> offence and defeat this evil assault? And it is an assault, and it won't stop. If it doesn't come from the outside, it can come from the inside. Has the Holy Spirit touched you? Has he shown you some things that need attention today? I'll ask if the pastor if, uh, thinks you would be happy to do it. If any of you need prayer to help begin a healing process in yourselves. I'm sure Stuart will be happy to pray with you on any of the subject matter that came up today. If somebody's holding something deep in their heart and they know that they've got to get it off, they've got a burden there, the burden is annoying them, come and get prayer today. I'm going to end up with a little story of my own. When I was younger, I can remember oh, probably about eight years old or seven years old. I can remember somebody nicked some pudding, nicked a couple of spoonfuls of pudding out of the fridge. And um, Dad lined us all up and uh, hold out your hand, who did it? Well, nobody admitted, so we just went down the line and everybody got the whack. And we all got sent to bed without food. Well, I didn't do it. And yes, I was very offended. Very, very offended. I remembered that for years. And it was probably the first big major wedge between myself and the love of my family, shall we say. I held on it for years. When I became a Christian, I prayed to God about it. Oh, I forgive him, God, I forgive him. You know, they're only being prayers. You know that... That thought haunted me, even though I'd been on my knees and prayed about it for several times. Probably over two or three years, I'd prayed that, Lord, I forgive my father and, Lord, forgive him. It didn't work. It kept coming back with some kind of dirty feeling. And I thank the Lord that before my father and mother passed away, in fact, quite a few years before, I got to go to my father and say, please forgive me. You did this when I was younger. I took offence and started the rebellion. Please forgive me for being offended. He didn't do it deliberately. And you know, he forgave me for what I'd done. And then he asked me to forgive him for the errors of parenting. After all, there's no perfect parent other than our Lord in heaven. And I forgave him. And you know, since that day, I can talk about it. There's no dirty feeling. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's nothing there. God has been able to take it away and wipe it clean. Forgiveness took me a long while. But I went there and it's happened, and I'm free of it. And I learnt from it, and it's fantastic. I thank you all.
Thank you, Pete.